admonition, especially after last Sunday as we studied the Ten Commandments together and the Seventh Command. Someone had made the statement, it was reported to me that after last Sunday, um, they had walked out and thought, well, next week he's talking about not stealing, I should be okay there. I did give you warning. None of us are getting out of this unscathed. Um, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. It's given to a point to bring us to Christ. And uh, Christ is our Savior, which means we must know that we sin. We need His Savior. The Ten Commandments do exactly that. And I really don't have much hope for you here today. Um, you're going to come out of this. Uh, I'm going to come out of this uh, damaged. All right, um, it, it, it uh, will have its effect, uh, even though it says you shall not steal, and that's what we'll be talking about. It's uh, more than you might have in mind. Um, let me ask you this question, um, just to kind of get uh, the context of who I'm talking to. Um, if you have ever had something stolen from you, um, if you could just raise your hand, I'd like to know how many of you have had something stolen. All right, that's a large percentage. Uh, Most of us have had something stolen from us. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever stole something from someone else? Raise your hand. Oh my. Okay. I would say look at the person around you. That might be the first person uh, that stole your whatever. Um, (laughs) Wow. Honesty. Uh, I was expecting a little bit more reluctance there um, on that second one. Now, now what did you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it's it's amazing uh, uh, if you've had something stolen from you. Didn't you feel like something more than that was stolen? When, when they when they took that, whatever it was, it had an emotional effect on you uh, that was really probably uh, far outweighed the object of whatever it was that was stolen. Uh, I want to talk about why that might be uh, as we look at this text today. Um, one thing we've learned as we've studied the Ten Commandments, uh, it you know, begins like no other rules do that we look at, Hammurabi's Code and others, where it says, you shall have no other God before me. And it really all flows from that one simple command. And as we go through the other commands, they start identifying other idols. And uh, if we find that major points of conflict with, with uh, immorality uh, as far as marriage or as far as materials, uh, as far as your time and your work ethic, it perhaps maybe is because that identifies a God that we serve that is not the God of the Bible. And so we go from you shall have no other gods before me to, uh, to making sure there's no graven image that we don't interpret God a certain way. And that instead we go to the Bible, we don't see God as, as we want him to be, but we learn to see God as he is revealed in the word of God. Uh, then we've, we've talked about the Sabbath day. The point of that and, and making sure that in, with our time, we worship our Lord and God. And we talked about not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain because it is by the name of God that we have any hope of salvation. It is precious to us. And then we talked about honoring your parents and honoring your father and mother. How that is a way, a very unique, specific way of honoring God because the parents are, so to speak, uh, co-creators with God uh, and, and bringing you to be. Uh, and how that is very directly tied to how we view God and how we deal with our parents uh, together. And then we looked at uh, murder. We learned that murdering is very uh, key because mankind's made with the image of God. 
and that we cannot attack a person without attacking God uh, because of God's name being put into our life. And I've talked about how Toy Story had the, the toys with Andy, the, the owner's name on every toy, and that made that toy special. And so humans have the name of God. It makes us special before God because of that. And then last week, uh, committing adultery, and we dealt at length with that, how marriage is a metaphor given from all from the beginning, from Genesis 2 all the way through, a metaphor of how God is treating us and wants to treat his church and that the physical act of marriage in itself is a metaphor of that. And so it's very dear to God. And that's why adultery is wrong because it's an attack on God. And so with that thought, we're going to look at verse 15 of Exodus chapter 20, you shall not steal. And so let's stand as we read this together in honor of this being God's word as he uh, literally spoke this to his people uh, in Mount Sinai. So let's start with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son, are your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You may be seated. Jesus, in summing up the commandments, said it's found in two major commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I would take that and say, you shall not steal is an extension of that. I do not steal because I love God and because I love others. And when I steal, I attack both. I attack both God and the man. Now, how is it that we are attacking God uh, by stealing. Well, I would take you to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Here you've got the primacy, the precedent that God is setting up with mankind, and in it is just beautiful, universal, eternal principles of what he has for mankind. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Primary to the nature of mankind is work. And it's interesting that when God set apart Adam and then Eve as she was created, he said, I've given you a task. I have asked you to be a steward over nature, to be a steward specifically over the garden. And so there is something within man's nature that is uh, evident of being made in the image of God, wants to be responsible for something. We've talked about how the image of God 
uh, is in our nature and our character. And God is certainly responsible for, for all, is he not? And so when man's made in his image, that's part of that is to say, I want to be responsible for something. And God gives him nature, gives him the garden for him to steward, to take care of, to work. It gives mankind some sense of dignity of being made in his image. Notice, I did not say definition, but it gave him some sense of dignity to be a steward over. Now, when something is stolen from us, there, there is stolen from us, not just that object, but something stolen from us also includes the choice that God made for me to be a steward over that object. It's part of my dignity, part of my responsibility, part of being made in the image of God is that I steward. And so there is something within us that wants more, that wants more to steward over. And when someone comes and takes that appliance, or takes that tool, or takes that TV, or takes whatever it is that God has entrusted to you, they have tapped God by saying, you know what, God entrusted that with you, but I disagree, I'm going to take it from you. And so they disagree with God and what's been entrusted to them, as well as they take from you that sense of responsibility. And that's why there is within us uh, that thought, that feeling that something more was taken than just an object. It was a responsibility, a dignity that God had given mankind by being a steward over that object or over that uh, that image. Have you ever thought, why is it that shopping makes some of us feel so good? Why is that? Why is it that we want to go shopping? Now, I'm going to say, first of all, there is a danger in this. Okay, and there is an idolatry that can be found in this, but there's also part of this that is how God made us and that it makes us feel more important if we've got more. We've got more that we can influence. We have more domain that we can have our say in and influence over. And so there's a part of that that God has made us with. And, and the thing is, like we've seen and all that God has made us, that we can abuse it and take the creation of God and make it our God and realize that if I live for this, if I cannot live the rest of my life without shopping and be happy, then I'm going to say to you that you probably have a worship problem on your hands. You're worshiping shopping uh, materials. But there is something, too, that is tied to our emotional significance. Now, I want to talk about how we break this command. So there's two main thoughts. How we break this command and then how Jesus fulfills this command. You remember Matthew 5, 17? He said, I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. How on earth does Jesus fulfill thou shalt not steal? All right, we're going to look at that toward the latter part. But first, how do we break this command? It's, It's simply we are taking from someone else that which God has entrusted to them. That's stealing. So there is, uh, first of all, what's called wrong taking. This is what comes to our mind first when we think about stealing, whether it's shoplifting uh, as a child, teenager, as adult, uh, you know, feeling like, okay, I don't want to pay the price, but I want that, so I'm going to shoplift. I'm going to steal from that store or that person. But there's uh, other ways that we uh, certainly can steal. Uh, there's the theft of time. That we can steal. We can steal from our employer uh, by being shoddy in our job or lazy in our job. We steal from them. And instead of giving them the best value that the money uh, that they paid you, uh, you give half-hearted service. That is certainly stealing from your employer. Uh, I think about this when uh, um, I started working in a tree farm. When 
one season, uh, about this time of year, October, November, uh, when I lived in the mountains, and uh, it, it reaffirmed my desire to go to college after working on this Christmas tree farm, because it was extremely hard work. There's nothing like carrying down seven-foot trees down the mountain, putting them in a baler, lifting them into a truck, put them in a warehouse, and put them into another truck. It was hard work. It ruined the smell of Christmas for years uh, after that. Um, I, anytime I smelled a tree, it just gave me shivers. Uh, but one of the things I found is, is when I was working in the warehouse, it had been two or three hours, I was working for my Sunday school teacher, and uh, I had other guys coming in, and after a while they said, hey, you need to slow down. What? Why? I'm working. Oh, you need to slow down. Because if you keep doing that, we're all going to have to do that. We don't all want to do that. So you need to slow down. There is pressure, is there not, in your job to give half-hearted service, to cheat out your employer by working just halfway? This is stealing from your employer when they are paying you to do work that you're only halfway doing. Now, there's also uh, taxes uh, when we uh, do, do not report all that uh, the government says uh, that we can report. Now, I would encourage you to make use of every loophole the government allows you. But when the government says this is the point uh, you need to pay taxes, then it's our part to pay the taxes. As Jesus himself said, owe to Caesar what Caesar claims. In other words, uh, owe to him what belongs to Caesar and owe to him what belongs to Jesus, belongs to God. And so there's a part of this that we do not withhold or we do not uh, avoid taxes illegally. This is theft as well. Now, when you pad your expense accounts, this is also stealing from your employer. When you don't pay your debts on time, when you've got the means to pay them, and you do not pay them, this is, in effect, stealing from those who have loaned money to you. There is all kinds of ways we can do this. As a nation, we can do this. When we exploit the poor nations around us for their resources, uh, when we are rigging the bids around us, when we are illegally downloading songs, when we have a cash-based economy so we don't have to report our taxes. I'll never forget one time when we were moving into our, our house, we had a, a fellow that um, uh, came to us by good report, and he, he did our wallpaper. Because I didn't know how to do wallpaper, and I had to look at this all the time. And So we paid this guy to do wallpaper. and um, You know, I'm not a construction guy. I'm just, all right, yeah, sounds good to me. That sounds like a, a good uh, estimate. And... Um, he did his job. It was probably a year or so later, I get a letter from this guy. Um, he was a believer. And he says, I just need to tell you that I have been convicted of the Lord because I have given you an over-exaggerated estimate that was not true. And I just want to give this money back to you. I just, I thought, well, praise the Lord. I had no idea. But God did. God did. There is a sense that as a believer, we don't give false estimates. We give the right estimate for the job rendered. If not, it is in our heart as stealing from that person and stealing from God. Now, this is wrong taken. There's other things that you can do. Uh, you can steal from your children by working late at work all the time. 
you're one of those who have worked all the time, you understand that there are some obligations that you have as a father or as a mother to your children. If you're doing that all the time, you've got to understand you're going to cheat somebody because everybody's going to feel cheated because everybody wants more than, than you're giving them. Do you understand that? Everybody's going to want more than you're giving them. And so you've got to figure out which one you're going to cheat. You can cheat your family by working all the time. Now, what else can you do? Did you know you can steal from a girl if you're in a relationship with them if, and, and you try to get them to, to bring emotionally to the table what you have no intention of seriously giving to them? I love you, baby. You don't even know what love means. But you're going to say it because you know it brings out the right emotional response. You're stealing their emotions. You're stealing their heart. You can steal from people by manipulating them with flattery. To get them thing, to give them things uh, because they feel like they're in a right relationship with you or that they mean something to you when you know good and well they don't mean that to you. You're just using them. Now, there's wrong taking, but there's also wrong keeping. You can steal by wrong keeping. Now, how do we do this? Well, first of all, understand something. God's made us stewards. He's made us trustees. But he has not made us owners. It's understood in Genesis chapter 2 that all these things belong to God. The trees, knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, and all the other fruit trees in the garden and the world that he made, it belonged to him by virtue of creation. It belonged to him by virtue of precedent. He was there first. It belonged to him by virtue of power. Who's going to take it from him? I would argue with you that it belonged to him by virtue of price, too. He paid for it. All these things belong to God. He's made you a steward, not an owner. So, let me share with you how you can steal from God. You can steal from God by withholding worship money. Worship money. What's worship money? Well, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 10. Makes it pretty clear here. Well, a man robbed God. It's kind of a rhetorical question. You're thinking, oh, I know. Why would I do that? Well, yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And there put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need he says i want you to bring it to the place of worship bring it to the tabernacle this is the place where you worship and offer it as a way of worship to god and that's why it's called i call it worship money it is a way of worshiping god to say god you are lord over my life not money this is one of the reasons why i, I don't practice fundraisers because i fundraisers undermines giving and we, there's the thought oh we're going to do this fundraiser i'm not going to give now, that's wrong thinking. I had hoped that you wouldn't do that. But that's how people think. I'm not going to give because we do a fundraiser. The problem is, giving is not for the benefit of the church. The giving is for the benefit of the person to learn to worship God. Because the question really is, is God God or is money God? Is resources, materials God? And giving is often the answer where that, where the method where that answer is found. And so Malachi 3, 8, 10, he says, you have robbed me because I've asked of you and you have not worshipped me in this way. 
Now, interesting that he said robbed. I mean, if the money wasn't ours, if it, if it didn't belong to us, wouldn't it be just called stingy? God would say, you have been stingy. But he didn't use the word stingy, did he? He used the word robbed. Why? Because it's not an issue of you own the money. It's the fact that, you, that God owns that money. Have you ever really thought about that? That all of your resources that God gives you is owned by God? And that maybe we ought to talk to God about how we should use the money he's entrusted to us for a little while? Malachi 3, verse 8, 10 brings this out. Either we'll see the money as ours or we'll see the money as his. If you see the money as yours, then the concept of giving is going to be upsetting to us. And you will not be generous. I would present to you that either you're going to be a thief or you're going to be radically generous. You're either going to be a thief or you're either going to be radically generous. I'm going to talk about why that may be in our life. Now, I I just want to assure you, the timing of this has nothing to do with the fact that the budget was given out today. Okay? I'm, I'm not that smart, I assure you. I can't do things like that. But I would just note that that has happened. Um, and perhaps maybe you need to talk to God about that. Um, I, I just read this past week uh, an article of a, a, a pastor in Durham area. And he had come across a situation in a church where there were a few folks that controlled the church. And one of the things they did was in October, September, October, right before the budget planning, they would drop their giving to ensure that no increases were given to staff or anything like that. Then come January, they'd do it again, give it up again. I read that, and honestly, I've never had that thought cross my mind. And I pray it has never crossed your mind either. I thought, how cruel that instead of that one tool where God has given to us to to be submitted to God, they have instead used that same method to try to control God's church. How twisted are we capable of being? I just read Malachi 3.8.10 and understand that God sees this as a way of stealing. If we do not recognize God over our money as expressed in the tithes and offerings. Now listen, we can also steal from God by withholding glory that belongs to God. I've shared with you before, some of you were here then, when I had that weed, a weed eater stolen from me. Um, electric weed eater, rechargeable. I didn't have a cord, I didn't have an engine. I had, all I had to do was take it out and bam, I was rolling. I loved it. It's great. And I could not understand for the life of me why someone would steal that. Without stealing their charging unit to it. You know, thieves aren't always bright. But I remember dealing with the anger of that and the moment of just... And I knew it wasn't right to be angry. I was trying to figure out, how do I deal with this anger? Because, God, I know this can't be right. And I was trying to think, all right, you know, uh, I was thinking about the, the passage that George uh, mentioned in his prayer that, you know, you check to see what's in your eyes, make sure there's no beam in my eye before 
get the sawdust. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, I don't steal and, and you know, I don't do things like that. And I tithe and I, you know, and I was just thinking through all this stuff. And I could not for the life of me where I figure out where financially I've stolen from the Lord. And then this thought crossed my mind. What about his glory? I just had to bow my head. Because I knew in my heart I had stolen his glory many times. And I knew from the word of God that God cared so much more about his glory than he did. Weed eaters and gold and silver, there is nothing to him. But his glory is precious. And I realized, God, I have been guilty of the worst type of theft. It's amazing how my anger, lost. I just lost it. And it was replaced with confession before God. I think about Herod. Herod, who in the book of Acts, was filled with himself. And when the people started shouting to him, and said, oh, his voice is like a God. He fell down. And the Bible says the worms consumed him, that God struck him down because he took the glory that belonged to God and took it for himself. We can steal from God by stealing his glory. Friends, whatever achievement you have in your life, you could not have unless God had done it for you. Whether it's the opportunity, whether it was the energy, whether it was the desire, the skills, the abilities, God has his hand in it. And you cannot for one moment say, look at what I've done and not take God and say, God, thank you for all that he's done in your life. Did you know you can steal from God by withholding your gifts and abilities in his church? Do you know you can steal from God by withholding your gifts and your abilities in his church? Romans 12, verse 4 and 6 says something interesting. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. If I am a believer and I have committed to myself to local a church family, I am one with them, one in Christ. And, listen, and individually, look, individually members one of another. I am a member to another member in the body. I belong to them. In other words, I'm committed to them. Another way of saying this is that when I'm a part of the church body, I no longer belong to myself, but I belong belong to that church body. So, having gifts and different according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy and proportion are faith, and he keeps on listing out. In other words, whatever God has gifted you with, whatever you're good at, find a way to use it in his church. Why? Because according to Romans chapter 12, verse 5, I belong to you, and you belong to me. Now, would that be right at all if I just said, you know what, I've got a gift and a passion. I love to preach and teach the word of God, uh, and God's used it. But I don't want to do it here. I mean, you guys don't look pretty enough. I just don't want to do it. And you would say, well, <laughs> well, we don't have to have you here either. You know, you get offended. You say, well, aren't you paid to do that here? Yes, I am. But listen, as I read the word of God, it's not the paying, the fact of what Christ has made me to be. That is the, the compulsion in my life. If, if you weren't paying me 
I'd go somewhere and I'd preach somewhere. It doesn't regardless of what the pay would be. It's just what God has put in my life. It's my gift. It's my ability. It's what we do. Now, just as that is wrong, how can we justify in our own life when you have a gift and ability and you just don't feel like using it? It's theft. Romans 12, verse 4 and 6, you belong to one another. You can steal from God when you withhold your gifts and abilities in your church. You can steal from God when you don't use your riches riches to help others. When you don't use your riches to help others. Proverbs 3, verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due and what is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. He says, if you've got the means and there's someone that needs it, then it is wrong to withhold it. Listen, see, here's the thing. If we, if we understand that all that we have does not belong to us, but belongs to the owner, then it seems important for us to know the priorities of our owner. What is important to God? What belongs to him? And so the resources that he gives us, it seems to make sense to put them toward the things that matter to God. Seems like worship matters to God. Seems like church matters to God. His glory matters to him. And evidently, it matters that there are poor people who are without. Which makes sense when we consider that God is a redeeming God, a compassionate God. It seems that makes sense. It's interesting when we look at that, we think, well, you know, if I give to this person, that means I can't do this, right? And that's always the case. It's not most of us that has money just sitting around without a purpose. <laughs> We've got a purpose before we get the money, you know. Um, and so that's the question that comes in our mind. So I look at Proverbs 19, verse 17. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Isn't that interesting? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, do we believe that's the word of God or not? It seems to me that if I'm lending to someone, I'm actually lending to the Lord. I mean, would you loan money to Bill Gates? <laughs> Probably not, uh, for a, a few reasons. But if there's ever a question, can he repay it? That's not going to enter our mind, is it? Well, all the things that Bill Gates has is only because God's allowed him to have it. It belongs to him. Would we loan to the Lord? Would we feel comfortable? Is that, is that good credit rating if we do that with the Lord? Just something to consider in Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Now, as we keep on reading here, did you know that you can steal from God when you don't share the life-giving gospel? When we don't share what God has done for the forgiveness of sin for the people around us, then that is stealing from God and from them. How do I, how, how do I get that? Romans chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Paul makes an interesting statement. I am under obligation, or I am in debt, both 
to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. When I don't share the gospel, what God has done, I am, am I'm broaching, I'm messing up an opportunity that this person has. I'm under obligation to my co-workers, to my family, to my neighbors. I thank God that we've got the uh, veterans uh, dinner coming up this week. It's given us an opportunity to invite a neighbor that had, we've known for a while. They've adopted our dog. I mean, they've just, you know, they loved us. I think more than, or loved our animals more than us, I think. But they have been there, and he is a veteran, and he is coming to the dinner, Lord willing, where he'll hear the gospel. I thank God the church has given us opportunities that we can take advantage of things like that because I'm obligated to my neighbor to make sure that he knows about the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. We can steal from God when we don't share the life-giving gospel. Now, I told you we're not coming out of this thing unscathed. All right? It's not as it's awfully quiet right now. Um, it hurts. It's more than just what you might think when it says, thou shalt not steal. But let me ask you this question. I've talked about how we break this commandment. How does Christ fulfill this commandment? How does that happen? Ephesians 4, verse 28, Paul takes this, this command, and it's interesting what he does. He kind of elaborates upon this command a little bit and uh, shares a little bit more. In Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal. All right, that's what we know, thou shalt not steal, but rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what is the opposite of thou shalt not steal? We've talked about how in these commands there's the prohibition, but what's implied within it is the, pro, is the, is the a command of a positive nature. All right? We talked about no adultery. We see the beauty of marriage, marital fidelity. All right? When we talk about no lying. We talk the beauty of truth. We talk about don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We talk about the beauty of the name. So what is the opposite of thou shalt not steal? Yeah. Giving. The opposite is giving. And that's what Paul says here. He says, don't steal anymore. Work hard with what you've got. Uh, and those, uh, those that have that money, now we have something to share with anyone in need. The opposite of thou shalt not steal is thou shalt give. Give. Be gracious. I want to share with you how Christ fulfilled that. You see, the, the problem is that we hear this, and we think, okay, the pastor says I need to be giving, but I, he may tell me to give, but, and I may give, but I want to be happy about it. All right? I just, just let it be known, I'm not happy about this. It's interesting, 2 Corinthians 9 has a word about that, saying, if you're not giving cheerfully, don't give at all, because you've lost the heart of it. You've lost the heart. There's something about the New Testament that says this giving is to be done in a cheerful manner, willingly, not under compulsion, not guilt, okay? In other words, I'm not going to get you to give, or God's not going to get me to give by, by saying, uh, you know, don't you remember all those hungry children in China? You need to give, all right? And that may have a temporary effect, but it's not the cheerful giving that God has in mind. We need a new motive. We need a new heart, for us to be able to give like this. So Paul, in dealing with this issue in 2 Corinthians, has something interesting to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might 
become rich. How did Jesus fulfill this command? He had the riches of heaven. And he didn't hold on to those, didn't grasp for those, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, became poor, humbled himself to the death on the cross so that we might be forgiven and saved and brought into the family of God and know the riches of being in his family. By his poverty, he made us rich. He did not steal. He did not came to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came, to deliver his life. He gave. He gave. And in giving, he fulfilled the law himself personally, as well as creating a new covenant whereby those who are in Christ now can also fulfill this law. Thou shalt not steal, but instead have gracious giving hearts by submitting to the Spirit of God in their life. This takes away the pain of giving. When we see the riches of Christ, we no longer drool over the materials of this world. When we see the riches of Christ, when we see what Christ has done, we realize the pain is taken away. Let me ask you this question. If you started tithing, if you started saying 10%, this is what I'm going to set apart, what would you sacrifice? What would it cost you in your lifestyle if you did that? For some of us, it might be vacations might be extracurricular activities for our children or for us. Maybe we're not going out nearly as much to eat. Uh, let me just bring this question. Is that really poverty compared to Christ? Is that really poverty compared to Christ? When you understand the grace of God in our life, everything changes. Everything changes. Robert Murray McChaney made this interesting quote. This is a Scottish pastor, died very young in his life. He made this quote, Any person who understands what Jesus has done for them, the more you understand, the more generous you get. I fear there is many hearing me who, now who know they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than, than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away, but enjoy it quickly. For I tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. That's a tough quote. But underneath that is this idea. I am living by the grace of God. I love what Christ has done for me. He is my pursuit. He is my definition, not this amount of money and account. Are these materials that I have now? Whether you're a spender or a saver, we often have the same reason behind it, of feeling better about our life. We feel better by our life because Christ has saved us and we are in right relationship with him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 10 says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. 
those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and to a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with pains. So he says we need to understand what it means to live simply. To know the blessing of contentment that is not made in your life because you have X amount of dollars. Contentment has nothing to do with the amount of dollars you make. It is an attitude that you have with God. To understand that, to live simply. And so, interesting, in this passage, it doesn't seem to condemn riches. And it doesn't condemn riches. In fact, later on, verse 17, verse 19, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the certainty of riches, but on God. So it's not that it's wrong to have riches, but understand your hope's not in that. Hope is in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so there is a time and place to enjoy the things that God has given us. Don't go into this mentality of, man, you've got this amount of money, you can't be a good Christian. That's wrong. That's wrong thinking. There is an idea of where we enjoy what God has given to us. What do we do with that? We do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that it may take hold of what is truly life. It's not wrong to make $100,000 and up. That's not wrong. But it may be wrong to have a $100,000 and up lifestyle. Consider that. Consider that. Christians are called to a deed ministry. We're called to minister to serve those who are hurting. 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. But if anyone has this world goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? I take you to James chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. I'm not going to read this, but just know that that's there. Something in addition. We have some objections to this. We might say, Pastor, sounds wonderful. But this is my money. I would just say, what if Jesus had that same attitude? This is my blood. I'm not giving it. We'd say, well, fine. But if I give money to those folks, they're going to use it improperly. And look how they live their life. They squander their resources. They're undeserving. I've worked hard, sacrificed for this. They've just slapped through life. Let me just ask you, what if Jesus had that same attitude? Are we not undeserving? Do we not squander his grace that he's been given to us? What if God had that same thought? We might say, well, I just don't want to. They're going to abuse it. They're going to abuse it. What if Jesus had that same thought? Just think about Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. You know, climbed up on the sycamore tree. Remember he was a tax collector? Hated. Hated by the Jews. Probably he couldn't see, not so much because he was just short, but all the big folks in front of him wouldn't let him in. You know, you're not hanging out with Jesus. This guy in his Armani clothes or whatever it may be climbs up on a tree so he can see Jesus. 
Remember Jesus stops by, looks up on the tree and says, you come down, all right? Go into your house today. And that was a scandal because he was a traitor to the people. He was wealthy, selfish. Jesus hangs out with them. And Zacchaeus is so touched with who Jesus is and the grace that is available to him through Jesus Christ. He makes this proclamation. Luke chapter 9, 19, verse 8. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, I equate what I did as stealing. And notice what Jesus says to him. Today, salvation has come to his house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek save the lost interesting Jesus said I know Zacchaeus is saved because look at this generous heart a heart that before had been warped by materials and used people and used his nation so he could have more stuff now he is saying that he's going to restore half and give half away and restore what he's taken fourfold salvation has come to this house generosity is there And when God's grace reigns in a person's heart, the generosity flag soon flies over that heart. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to seek and save the lost? You may be thinking, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Interesting in Galatians is it's not by doing the law that you're saved by admitting that you're guilty before the law and coming to Jesus and knowing that it's done by faith. Jesus came to fulfill the law, which means that he came to find folks who are beggars spiritually and say, I want to provide for them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He made himself poor so that you would be rich. But understand that you cannot at the same time say, Jesus, you reign in my heart, but at the same time, I let you have say over this amount of money. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot do both. And you cannot go to God and say, God, I'll follow you, but let me have my breaks on my side. To follow God is to follow God unconditionally, wherever he may take you. Let's pray.